everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. This episode we've got today was taken from a show that ran inside our discipleship.org collective. Our point leader, Bobby Harrington, along with Kurt Erskine, took some time to clarify an important distinction between someone who merely believes in Jesus and someone who is a disciple of Jesus, who follows Jesus. They also talked about Kurt's brand new book, Recreated to Be Like God, which is available in a free ebook version on discipleship.org. So make sure you take advantage of that. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. So let me get out of the way here and let's listen in to Bobby Harrington and Kurt Erskine. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I'm so glad to have you with us. We are here to discuss a really important topic, and uh, it's a topic, I'm going to give you a, a special word, it's called theosis. And the word theosis means that we're to be recreated into the image of God. And my friend Curtis Erskins has written a book on it. I'm going to hold the book up. It's called Recreated to Be Like God. Making Disciples in the Image of Jesus. And if you're listening to this podcast, it is a discipleship.org book that just came out, and it's a super important topic. So uh, I'm first going to get Kurt to tell you a little bit about himself. If you don't know about discipleship.org, I I want you to know about us. Um, We champion Jesus-style disciple-making, and uh, we're not going to rest until Jesus-style disciple-making is the norm in every church, every ministry, and in the household of every follower of Jesus. So that's a pretty high bar we've set for ourselves. But we think that the way Jesus made disciples is the best way. Jesus himself was the most brilliant human being to ever live, and his method of disciple-making is like the perfect method. So I want to commend that to you. Now, the topic of this book is going to get at the heart of why we would make disciples who are going to be like Jesus. But before we get to that, uh, Curtis Erskine, tell us a little bit about who you are, who you're married to, about your kids, uh, the church, the whole bit. So my name is Curtis Erskine. I'm from, uh, if you can tell from my accent, I'm from the South. I'm from uh, Western North Carolina. Uh, grew up in Western North Carolina my entire life, except for a small small time that I spent in the Navy after high school, um, in church my entire life, really in church. You know, I can't remember a time when I wasn't in church when I was a kid, uh, in the evangelical conservative evangelical church my entire life. So, um, good theology, but my entire life also realized that something was kind of off. Right. And so I've been kind of somewhat of a seeker my entire life, never left conservative theology, but seeking. And so there just reached a point, uh, where got to a point where it was time to go to seminary, right? Going to the ministry, went to seminary, and while in seminary, discovered discovered discipleship. Um, which again, seems like an odd thing, having been in church my entire life to discover, discover discipleship. From that, I did kind of shift to church planting, um, worked on a church called His Words, His Ways Fellowship here in Western North Carolina. And along the way, because I was so... In rat, when I found discipleship, I, this is the thing that was missing. 
This is the thing growing up in the church my whole life. This is the thing, not just discipleship. As you said, Jesus style disciple making. Realize this is the thing I've missed my whole life. So one of the things that I've done since is I've continued on in my education, trying to learn more and more and more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how to make disciples of Jesus. Uh, so I've been going to school basically off and on for about the last 10 years. Um, just finished up my doctorate in uh, in, in uh, the doc doctorate of ministry in discipleship. So um, along the way, did a lot of research on discipleship because one of the things is the question of, you know, I grew up in a Christianity where there wasn't really, there was some discipleship, but it wasn't Jesus style discipleship teaching us to be disciples of Jesus. And so really trying to dig into that to find out how we missed it, what exactly it was, how we bring it back into the church. And along the way, there were a couple of concepts that kept jumping out to me as I was working on my degrees. And um, kind of as I was finishing up my doctorate, that's when this book, the ideas in this book really came together. And that's really what this is a, is a, a, a a product of. So I did graduate from Liberty, uh, Liberty University's Rawlings School of Divinity just earlier this year. Um, and basically when I finished up, go ahead. No, no. And uh, oh, I, no, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, this book is actually a version of your doctor of ministry dissertation, correct? Right. Yes. This is basically my research put into a form for the everyday reader. Uh, that's good. Hey, Kurt, tell us a little bit uh, about your your family, just right. like you personally. Okay. So, yeah, so I've been married now for, this year will be 17 years. Been married 17 years. My wife's name is Jessie. Um, me and her have a lot in common as far as she grew up in the church as well, but at the same time had a lot of questions about why things were the way they were. So we really meshed together with that well. She's, she's a great wife. I have two kids. Uh, my both of my kids will be in high school this year. They're only 14 months apart. So my daughter Piper will be uh, in her sophomore year, and my son Vincent will be in his freshman year. So All a lot right. of exciting things going on around my house. Yeah, that's quite <laughs> uh, quite uh, the age to have kids right now with yeah. everything that's going on. Okay, so you say that this book talks about something that you weren't taught that you had to learn later on. I've already kind of introduced everybody to this $24 word, theosis. Uh, what, what is that word? What does it mean? And how does that tie in with the topic of your book? So um, as I was studying discipleship, I was reading several different authors. And I mean, I was reading a lot of authors, but there were several people who, who I noticed I, it was actually going back. I didn't realize I noticed it at the time, but this was a concept that jumped out about this reconforming back into the image of God that we were originally created to be. That mankind, we are not the image of God. We do not function as the image of God that we were originally created to be. We don't carry out our original purposes. I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I'm doing everything as the image of God that God created human beings to do. Um, and I thought that was a neat concept. You know what I mean? I would see that. Oh, that's a neat concept. And it really hit me. Um, when I was teaching through Ephesians and I got to uh, Ephesians 4:24, where he talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And he says, and he, and he says, Paul wrote the new man created to be like God in righteousness. And it hit me that I had never considered that before. Um, that I had considered being conformed to the image of Jesus, but I had never considered being conformed to the image of God. But that makes complete sense because Jesus is God. 
And it's just really, you're like, and, and it's almost so simplistic that when you first consider it, you're like, huh, wonder why I never thought of that before. Wonder why I never heard of that before. And in reality, I had heard of it before. I just didn't really, it didn't really soak in. It was in some of the uh, authors that I had read, but just, I was taking in so much information about discipleship. That one never really hit home until I called it in Ephesians that time. And as I studied more and more, um, one of the first things, as I saw that, that idea of being recreated back into the image of God was that it was in more modern authors. Um, it's in uh, Bonhoeffer, it's in C.S. Lewis, it's in A.W. Tozer, it's in some other modern authors. And so one of the things that kind of struck me is like, ah, if anything hasn't, you know, if it's only been within the last couple of years, that's kind of last hundred years, that's kind of sketchy, right? Really one of the turning points for me was when I went back and saw that the church fathers had actually talked about this concept. Wait, who are the church fathers? So Athanasius, um, Get into I, not, I'm very bad at pronouncing Greek words. So if I, no, no, I, I meant like as a general category, oh. who are the church fathers? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically the church fathers um, are the leaders of the early church really starting. Some were actually in the first century. There's an overlap there with the apostles because really yeah. John being the last apostle dies at the end, you know, 100, around 100 BC. So there's a yeah. slight overlap with the first apostles. Yeah, you and got Clement of Rome, Clement What's of that? Rome, yeah. uh, the Didache, Ignatius. Right, right. yeah, Ignatius is a big one. Ignatius is one of the ones that talks about theosis. And so these are guys, the early ones that had contact and were possibly discipled by the apostles. And then it's the really up through, really about the fourth century BC is really where you consider. You mean the, AD. So, AD, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's really the early leaders of the early Greek church, really before it becomes the Roman Catholic church. And so, and one of the things you look for is that the church fathers don't agree on everything. They, I mean, we all, if you study the church fathers, you know, they don't agree on everything all the time, but there are certain things they do agree on. And so like the Trinity, that's a concept that, that's the one that the church fathers agreed on. They agreed on the Trinity. Um, and so one of the other things that they agreed on was theosis. This is actually one of the one of the things that they was most common among them. In fact, I would say that those couple of things like the deity of Christ, the Trinity, theosis, these were all tied up together. And actually, when you look at Athanasius, he, he argues for theosis while arguing, arguing for the Trinity. Well, that's good. Hey, Kurt, can you give a simple, short definition of theosis? Right. Basically, theosis is human beings being recreated or being reconformed back into the original image of God that they were originally created to be and serving the purpose as the image of God that they were created to be. And a big part of that is that it does have a that does have a specific end is that in doing so, they render unto God the glory that he is due. Man's original purpose was to function as the image of God. And in as in while functioning as the image of God, they render glory unto God. That's good. So um, as, as we think of this word theosis and rendering back to the glory of God, I'm reminded, I think it might have been Augustine who had this prayer and uh, his prayer really captured it. He said this. And now, dear God, with your help, I will become myself. Right. And what he meant by that is I will become the true image that you intended in me when I was conceived, God. Right. That to do that, 
we have to be reconformed to the image of Jesus. Right. And so one, one of the things about theosis is, um, again, I wrote this book, we're having this conversation, all of these things, because we agree this needs to happen and we agree this needs to be taught. But I will admit that it's going to be tricky to do so. Uh, tell, one me of the things, tell, me, tell me why. So one of the things you just said, um, my true self, that has been um, taken in by the new age. Yeah. And they'll say, well, you become your true self. And really what that is, that's, that's the lies of Satan. Because generally when the new age is saying my true self, what they're talking about is their fallen self. See, and that's the one thing that we want to put our true self up against. So as we explain theosis, we talk about becoming your true self or your real self. One of the things that we have to put that up against is that is that is in opposition to your fallen self. That's good, Kurt. Yeah, because so that, what we're saying is that the Jesus and being conformed to his image is the true intent of God in a human being. Right. That is God's original design. When we say true self, we're talking about God's original, who I would be if I was not fallen. That's good. So, Kurt, let me just say something uh, to you and to our audience ab about the book. And this actually goes back to the foreword that I wrote for the book. By the way, if you're watching or listening to this presentation, we have a free copy of this book for everyone who signs up for the National Disciple Making Forum. If you go to discipleship.org and you click on, on the tab for the National Disciple Making Forum and you put in the word CURT, C-U-R-T, that registers you so that when you show up at the National Disciple Making Forum, there will be a copy of this book there for you. Uh, because we just believe in this message and we want it to get out to as many as possible. So, Kurt, when I was writing the foreword, what occurred to me is how powerful this argument is, but how neglected it is in disciple-making. Here's, here's what I mean. Right now, if I were to interview 100 church leaders of Bible-believing churches, and I were to say, what is the number one thing that we need to be doing right now in the church, given the dramatic drop-off in attendance that's occurring across North America, and given the fact that people are adopting these ways of thinking and these views that are not consistent with Scripture, what's the what's the most important thing to do? People would they would just say, "We got to get back to discipleship. We got to get back to discipleship." And it's a pragmatic argument. The argument is what we're doing right now is not working, so we need to get back to discipleship. Is the automatic in, you know, just reflective, here's what we got to do. <clears throat> now, that's good. Um, other times, people will use the argument, well, you know, Jesus told us in the Great Commission that we're supposed to make disciples. May his last words be our first priority. People will say that because it was the command of Jesus. Um, the third level is, uh, and it's tied in with your book, but at the core of what God wants the church to be about is helping people to become like Jesus. So I would argue that, and I have in the book, Disciple Making the Core Mission of the Church, Scott Sager and I make that argument. You take it a level deeper, though, and I, I just love it about this. 
And that is this complete New Testament emphasis on conformity to the person of Jesus. That uh, some of the ways I like to describe it, if I'm going to sum it up, I just say, God wants us to all come to Jesus for salvation and then form our lives around the life teaching and uh, uh, call of Jesus in our lives. Sometimes the short version for me is that God wants every human being to form their lives around Jesus. And that's what you're arguing for in this book, and it's why it's so important. So I want to ask you to make the case biblically first as we think about this, Kurt. Like biblically, where, where do you get this argument? You mentioned the one passage in Ephesians. Give me give me some more biblical background. So I want to give you because we can spend a long time because once you first, when you start really digging into the New Testament, it's all throughout the New Testament. But actually, there was one argument that when I first saw this concept, I thought, well, this is neat. You know what I mean? This is this is a neat idea, and we find those in Scripture sometimes. This is a really cool idea. This is a really neat idea. But then we also then but then there's also those concepts that we take a step higher. You know what I mean? That we go, you know what? I think this is something that we need to emphasize on a regular basis, that the the weight that this is given in Scripture. And I mean, just to pull the pull one out of the air, the big one, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Right. That's big. We need to say that constantly. So the question is, does this rise to that level of something that big that we need to be saying on a regular basis? And there were a couple things in Scripture that pushed me over the edge that made me say, okay, this is not just a really cool thing in scripture. This is actually one of the main subjects of scripture. And one of the things that really pushed me over the edge that I really started thinking, hey, this is really big, was when you look at Genesis, which is our introduction to God, it's introduction to humanity, it's our introduction to the Bible. Anytime you're in an introduction, when you introduce characters, the main, the what you first say about that character is generally the most important thing about that character. So the very first thing said about humanity is that God created us in our in his image. So that's the most important thing about humanity. We are created in the image of God. But it doesn't just simply say that. God then gives two commands. Let us create him, let us create them in our image so that they might, right? have dominion over the earth. And then he gives these commands to humanity to multiply and have dominion over the earth, subjugate the earth. So there's these two functions related to the image of God that we multiply so that we increase the image of God and thereby increase the glory of God. But then that we also act like God in how we subjugate the earth, right? So that, that so the image of God is important. The next thing that really I noticed was in Genesis chapter three, the curse, right? And I had never noticed this before in my life until I was studying this. The curse is specifically on the image of God. And even that, the temptation of Satan is actually pointed at the image of God because what he asked them to do is to be like God in a different way than the way they're created, right? It's not that when he asked, you know, you can be like God, they were already like God in the way that God created them to be like God. What Satan tempts them to be is like God in a different way than they were created to be, right? So even the temptation of humanity is based on the image of God. So then if the temptation is based on the image of God, the fall is based on the image of God. And you see that in the curse, the specific, again, the two specific functions of the image of God were multiplication and subjugation. 
right? Having dominion over the earth. The curse on the woman is on multiplication. You will have chain, you'll have pain in childbirth, right? And there's mm-hmm. even kind of a slant there for her to have children. What does she have to have? And that's a relationship with her husband. And that's cursed, right? Her having children and a relationship with her husband, relationship, that's what's cursed. Cursed is multiplication, right? Then he curses mankind and he curses mankind. He in, in the, the male, Adam, it is on subjugation. He says, basically, no longer will you be able to subjugate the earth in the original way that you were created to subjugate the earth. The earth is going to fight back against you now. And so the curse is specifically on the image of God. That is the curse. The curse that we live under is that we are not the image of God that we were created to be. We are incapable of functioning as the image of God. All of the bad things in the world that occur are a result of us not being the image of God we were created to be. The thing that really then, let's turn that up another notch. All right, I'm ready. So that chronologically, that is the first time we see humanity in the Bible. Right. Chronologically, that's the first time we see humanity. Let's go to the last time chronologically that we see humanity in the Bible. This is the very last chapter of Revelations. Now, the last little bit of that chapter is actually the um, the closing. Right. It's the epilogue. It's not really it's kind of separated out. So but when you look at the very last of John's vision, which is the last time it's in the future, but chronologically, it's the last time we see humanity in the Bible. What is specifically said, one, they're taken back to the garden, but there's two very specific things said there. It says, one, there shall no longer be a curse. Well, what's the curse on, right? It's on the image of God. And then if you go on, he says, and we will, we will, um, because we will see God and have his name on our forehead. Well, like what in the world is the thing about his forehead? Well, you got to remember this is written by John. So let's find another place where John says something about seeing God face to face. And he says, when we see Jesus, we will be like him because we will see him as he, as he is and be like him, right? So that's just the same thing, that, that his name on his forehead means that we're reconformed back into the image of Jesus, back into the image of God. So what we have in scripture is the very first thing chronologically said about human beings is that they're created in the image of God. The curse, the whole conflict of the entire scripture, the entire, and actually the entire creation is that humanity failed to be the image of God they were created to be, right? The conclusion of scripture then is that mankind is reconformed back into the image of God and they live as the perfect image of God they were originally created to be for all eternity. That's pretty important. Yeah. Now, that, that taken by itself, that's pretty important. But now if we go back and we start to reread scripture, and again, if that's the introduction and that's the conclusion, everything in between there is about that. And you really start, if you really start paying attention, even in the Old Testament, there's this emphasis on the image of God. One of the names they use for the kings is really talking about them being an image and that the kings are setting themselves up as false images of God. Right. This is one reason why we have the uh, the prohibition against making images as gods, because why would you make an image of God? You are the image of God. Right. And then when you go to the New Testament, one of the titles given to Jesus is the image of God. And then all throughout the New Testament, in every single almost every single book of the New Testament, there's a couple that are not it's not there, but it's just a couple 
where there is some sort of reference to being conformed to the image of Jesus, being conformed to the image of God, or imitating them. When you put all that together, this is the overall storyline of Scripture. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Can you tell us in the New Testament some crucial passages that point to this uh, concept of theosis? or being recreated in the image of God. So I have a very had, I have a very hard time remembering the, the uh, actual verses. I have a, like a hole in my brain for some reason. But so we know that we know in um, Colossians where he talks about was so, okay, second Corinthians where he says that, you know, that they've been veiled. The gospel has been veiled. Second Corinthians, second Corinthians 3, 17 right. and 18. You're a whole lot better memory numbers than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I've actually struggled with my whole life. I can't, for some reason, well, I can't. Well, I want you to know, I want you to know before you ever wrote this book, these yeah. were some of the key verses that were very formative in my thinking right. about these things. And so, so they're super important. In, right. In, I know uh, the verses. I have a hard time quoting the numbers. Um, uh, okay. It's, it's, just, it's just a hole in my head that this doesn't work well. Sure. Um, that Jesus, that they don't see Jesus as the image of God, that the, the gospel has been veiled to them, and they don't understand that Jesus is the glory of God. Uh, then we have in Colossians where he talks wait, about— Wait, let me read this to everybody. Uh, this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, here's what it, it says about when they, in verse uh, 15, when they turn, uh, the veil is removed, the veil is taken away, says in verse 16, and then this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he says this, I love these, these uh, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul literally says, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into the image of God. And one of the things you'll find, like in that verse, that's a very, very important verse uh, because it ties all these things together. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, conform you to the image of God for his glory. One of the things you'll find tied throughout scripture is you'll find the, the, you'll find the image of God and the glory of God constantly mentioned together. 
And that's one of the things that you see where the purpose of us being the image of God is that we bring glory to God and that we only bring glory to God by being his image. Yeah. There's not this. And that's one thing that's very important. There's not this other way to bring glory to God. You know, because, you you know, in, in everything you do, you know, bring glory to God. Well, that's that, you know, you can't I can't go out and kill somebody to the glory of God. You know what I mean? That yeah. there's a specific scripture that says, yes, and everything you do bring glory to God, but there is a very specific way we are to bring glory to God. That's that good. is my biggest image. Uh, a couple of the other ones is with Colossians 3, and it's a lot like the one from um, Galatians, from uh, Ephesians 4, where he talks about you've taken off your old self and its practices, which same thing he says in Ephesians 4, and he says you've put on I'm sorry, what he says, he says, uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's good. Right. And so there's, I mean, and again, we have the ones that we're more, that we're more used to that we quote more often, like, you know, Romans 8, 28, you know, that um, for God foreknews, I'm sorry, you know, God works everything to good to those who are called according to his purpose. But then we've got to go on to Romans 8, 29, when he says what that good is that he works everything towards. Right, which is for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, and so we're more accustomed to that. We're more accustomed to being conformed to the image of Jesus. We're all right with that, right? Where it gets uncomfortable for us is when we we start making the equation that, okay, if Jesus is God the Son and we're conformed to the image of God the Son, then we're conformed to the image of God as well. Um, One of the things I think where in, in American Christianity, where we kind of have a struggle with this argument is our, is our, um, our um, proximity to Mormonism. Um, so tell us, another, you, tell, us, tell us what you mean when you say that. So I've got another $24 word for you, right? So you've got theosis, which is conformity to the image of God. Then you have apotheosis. Just okay. take theosis and put an APO on there. I thought about writing a, writing a part about this in the book, but it gets a little too much, you know, um, so what apotheosis is actually deification, actually becoming a God, which is what Mormonism teaches. Yeah, the, and, in, in the Mormon concept, if you're really a faithful Mormon, then you'll reach celestial exaltation, right. which you do through being married for time and eternity in the temple, and then uh, keeping the word of wisdom and so forth, is right. that you literally will become a God of your own planet. You will become a God. And that's very important that when we talk about theosis, this is another one that reason why we're uncomfortable teaching this is that we've been, we've had Mormonism among us as Americans for so long that we're really uncomfortable. People talk about becoming like God. Yeah. But there's a big difference between becoming like God and becoming a God. Right. And we need to make sure this again, this is, this is very tricky to teach. You, if you teach this, you have to put some effort into making sure people understand what you're talking about, because they're going to come with a lot of questions. Are you talking about that Mormonism thing? Are you talking about being perfect? Are you talking about how can we be like Jesus? He's perfect. And you're going to have a lot of questions. That's one reason why this book was written is so this is something that you can take as a pastor and you can basically kind of follow the outline of this book and it'll help you teach people, this concept, and it answers some of the questions that you're going to get. Because one of the things is, I think we've pointed out, this is scripture. 
As evangelicals, one of the things we over and over and over again is we teach scripture. We teach the full measure of scripture, right? If God taught it in scripture, we need to teach it in our churches. Uh, if you don't believe me, get the free ebook that we have, but then also get the, the, the hard copy um, and check my argument against scripture. But if you check my argument against scripture and you figure out, yeah, this is taught in scripture, then you need to teach it in your church. Well, well, that's that's what I was going to get to. By the way, uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. So I just encourage everybody to go there and get it. Kurt, here's the thing about it. I, I think that this is one of the most important teachings we've got to be teaching in the church today. So let me let me explain why I'm saying that. Not only is this embedded throughout scripture, not only is this emphasized in the writings of Paul and in the writings of Peter uh, and in the normative understanding, it actually is at the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is not this thing we do. Discipleship is an intentional effort to help us live this out. My goal, let me just, let's get real practical here. My goal in relationship with my wife is I want more and more that I will treat my wife the way Jesus would treat my wife if he were living my life. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus in my relationship with my wife, because I am called to love her the way Jesus did the church. And that means I've got to become to Cindy more and more the way Jesus uh, formed me in relationship to Cindy. And I've got to become more and more that man. Uh, Paul uses this in Philippians chapter two, he says uh, that our attitude toward one another should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality right. with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took the nature of a servant. Literally, in the relationships right. we have in the church, being conformed to the image of Jesus is the whole goal. And when you peel it back, what is the Christian life? Well, right. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said it this way, what's the purpose of the local church? To create little Christs. Yeah. So, so we become transformed into the image of Jesus, and it's central. It is the motive for disciple-making and discipleship. Yeah. And so I'm going to take, I'm, I'm going to, now, I'm going to take that a step further. It is Christianity. There, that's one of the arguments I make. There's not another form of Christianity where you don't make disciples of Jesus who aren't reconformed to the image of God. This is Christianity. Now, I'm going to go ahead and jump on the topic that if people are listening, they probably already hit their brain. What about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins? Ain't that Christianity? Right? Well, there's a very important chapter in the book where we talk you said about... That, you said that in a very Southern way. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. right. And so, yes, that is Christianity, but what we really want to dig into, you start digging into scripture and, and really in Hebrews, he really gets into this. Why did Jesus come down the cross for our sins? Was it just to give us a free trip to heaven or was he trying to accomplish something else? And I believe, and I've made the argument over and over again, that the reason Jesus came and died on the cross for our, our sins was so that he could reconform us back into the image of God we were originally created to be, that he rescued and redeemed us for that purpose. It's not just so we can live for eternity in paradise. Because even tying it to that, 
what makes paradise paradise besides the recreated world? It's the recreated people. You know, it's not going to be paradise unless everybody there acts like Jesus. Well, if so, if you want to go to paradise when you die, you got to be willing to agree to be reconformed back into the image of Jesus, back into the image of God you originally created to be, or you're going to mess it up for everybody. Right. Yeah. And so if you're talking about, well, is, he just, he died on the cross for my sins so I could go to heaven when I die. Well, the point of you going to heaven when you die is that you become the, and if you're not willing to do it here and now, why do you expect me to believe you that you'll be willing to do it then? You well, see what? Sir, yeah, no, I think that you're, you're making a good point. I would just argue that it, this, um, it's at the heart of all the commands in yeah. the New Testament is that it's why we want to obey God because by right. obeying him, we're becoming who he's created us to be or recreating us to be in the image of Jesus. Every command of God is ultimately that we would be formed into his image by, by how we live. Kurt, I want to ask you this question. If this is so central as we're saying, why hasn't this been taught in recent times? Right. So it has. It's just not taught widely. So there's some examples in the book of it being taught within the last hundred years, but even the last couple of years. Um, so one of the things is Christianity got a free pass for a long time in Western civilization. Right. And we got lazy. I think everybody, if you haven't realized that yet, um, I think you need to do some digging because. That's a very important realization to come to is that Christianity got a free pass in Western civilization, especially in America, and we got lazy. Um, and then also, and I'm not saying these things are wrong, but there was the battles within Christendom over the exclusivity of Christ, over the inerrancy of Scripture. And, you know, there's battles over that within Christianity that got us. And I'm saying, again, those things are important things to argue. I'm not saying they're not. And then outside of the church, just the battle against paganism, for lack of a better term, the, the culture outside the church turning away from God and turning towards paganism. And so we got so embroiled in those battles. You know, it's that whole thing of, uh, you know, the man builds a tomb for his wife and he gets so caught up in building the tomb that one day there's a box in the middle of the tomb. And he's like, what is this box? Take it and throw it away. Well, that was his wife's coffin. Yeah. You know, that old story. Well, that's kind of the same thing. This is at the center of Christianity. This is at the center of Christianity. But we got so busy with these things on the outside that we forgot what was at the center. Yeah. Uh, there's a. And so we kind of forgot this message. The other part of that is, is that we really liked easy cultural Christianity, where you just believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You be a fairly moral, normal person, and you go to heaven when you die, right? That's easy. That's easy. Being reconformed to the image of God is hard. It's beautiful. It's a it, it's a beautiful hard though, right? Right, right. I mean, it is, I mean, it, I mean, it it might be hard. I talked about myself earlier in relationship with my wife, but you know, one of the most beautiful things in the world is 
is when my wife treats me not as I deserve, but as Jesus would treat me as he's living his life through my wife, Cindy. Right. And they're, 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 it's hard, but it's beautiful. Right. I mean, and, and, the, and, and, the image of God in a human being is right. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we start getting, that's where we get our glimpses of paradise. That's when we start, when you, when you really sit and you think about what paradise will be. Yeah, the, the, the recreated creation, that's great. But then what you said, everybody all the time acting like Jesus. And we get glimpses of that here. When we act like Jesus towards other people and other people act like Jesus towards us and we see, and and it's, again, it's the pearl of great price. This is the pearl of great price. It's not just Jesus and he is, and I don't mean to de-emphasize Jesus. I don't mean to de-emphasize his death on the cross, but this is underneath of all of that. And this is central to all of that, that he created us for a purpose to bring glory to himself. And that he, this whole thing is to get us back to fulfilling that purpose, which, again, points right back to him. It doesn't point to us in any way, shape, or form. It always points back to Jesus. But yeah. And yeah. so you see that pearl of great price, and you realize how awesome it is, how important it is. Well, this is one of the things when we talk about, we've been asking people to be, be and make disciples of Jesus without giving them the ultimate why. When you give people the ultimate why, you're willing to pay the price you need to pay to have it. Yeah. You and know? I think, Kurt, if I if I could just say, I think that the idea that in discipleship, I'm not just obeying these commands and being a more serious person. The underlying thing is I'm becoming a more Christ-like person. Right. I'm, I'm, it's, it's about who I'm becoming. It's about like every day, you know, we all come to that point where we have to make decisions about what we're going to do. And it's not about, it, it is about obeying or disobeying God, but it's so much deeper than that. It's about what kind of person do I want to be? Right. I, I want to be who God made me to be. Right. I want to honor him. I want to be conformed to him. And I just want to say this. My son has a line that I really like. And it's this. Um, first of all, this is a, a beautiful thing. I just want to punctuate that as much as I can. The image of Jesus in an other human being, where they're really living out the image of Jesus, it is a beautiful thing. And here's my son's line. If it's it's got to be beautiful for it to be believable right. in the time in which we live. And uh, it might be hard work. It might require a cross. Like Jesus said, you can't, unless you're willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple, but it's beautiful and it's worth it. Right. And I think, I think one of the things we're going back to, it's been easy. We haven't given people that picture because we didn't have to. Yeah. We should have, but we didn't have to. And I and I think we are at a point now in society where out of you know where we need to give people our best picture, our like you're saying, our most beautiful reason. We yeah. need to set this in front of people and say, okay, look, this this is this is the pearl of great price. You being the image of God you were created to be, other people being the image of God created to be, and it only occurring through Christ. And we need to set that in front of people.
Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So, um, Kurt, let's get practical. Uh, In the book, you take this concept and then you talk about Jesus-style disciple making by which we help people to pursue theosis or reconformity. How how does this theology that drives our lives of being recreated in the image of Jesus, how how does that practically get coached and mentored and uh, inspired? How do we help people to do that through disciple making? Okay, so first thing I'm going to say is we need to say it out loud. Okay, that so one of the things is I was a really horrible Christian. Not because I wanted, not because I wanted to be a horrible Christian, but I was, and there's people who are much worse than me, but in my mind, I was a horrible Christian because I never, it was so, I believed in Jesus, but I didn't practically know what I needed to do or why I needed to do it. So the first thing we do is, is by giving this, this concept of, of uh, reconforming to the image of God through imitating and obeying Jesus as his disciple, is we give people the practical of answer of here is exactly what you're doing and exactly why you're doing it. You give people that first piece. Then we look to, first and foremost, the life of Christ. That's not to pull it away from the rest of Scripture, but let's start with Jesus and let's look at Jesus. Let's look at how he made disciples. Let's look at how he treated people. Let's look at how he communicated with people. And then let's copy that. And then by extension, let's look at the way the apostles did it in the New Testament. And let's copy that. And let's look at, and again, the big thing is relationships, but it's more than just relationships. It's how you specifically act in relationships and uh, what you specifically teach in those relationships. So you look at this model of Jesus. Again, so one, it's not just that I'm nice to everybody and I love everybody the way Jesus would be, but that I also make the central mission of my life, what the central mission of Jesus's life was, which was to reproduce his image by making disciples of him. Okay, so get practical with me on that. So you won me over. I want to I want to do that. How do I practically do that in the context of a local church or a ministry? So again, pointing back to relationships is very specific. When we look at Jesus, so and I don't just have relationships for the sake of having relationships. Every single one of my relationships is an opportunity to make a disciple of Jesus. Every single one whether it's somebody who's already a believer or somebody who's an unbeliever. Every time I, and th- this is the level that I'm talking about taking it to, and I think this is a lot of things that people miss, um, is that now every single interaction I have with another human being is an, is an opportunity to, one, for me to act like Jesus, 
towards that person, but then also for me to help that person be conformed to the image of Jesus. So now every every single relationship, so there's there's ultimately, there's going to be relationships I avoid because if it has been made clear in this relationship, been made clear in this relationship that I cannot act like Jesus around this person and I am not going to be able to influence this person to be like Jesus, I don't need to have that relationship. Yeah, that's one. I step away from, there's relationships I step away from. But then I start, every time I meet somebody new, the first thing through my mind is, how might I help this person be conformed to the image of Jesus? And how might I treat them like Jesus? Um, that, that's a completely different change in your mindset. Okay, that's, so you, you're, right now you're talking about the mindset of a disciple maker. Right. Uh, is there something you want to add to that? Because I want to I want to switch to the mindset of what you're doing for the person you're right. discipling. So, so what I'm starting to do is, is then, so since I know every single, this relationship and every single conversation with this person, I start introducing into the conversation concepts. Do you see what I'm saying? Depending on where they are, whether they're already claimed to be a believer, or whether they claim to be an unbeliever, I start in one in my actions towards them. I'm very particular about my actions towards them. But then also I begin to introduce into the concept. I try to figure out where they're at as far as spiritual maturity or where they're at with Christ. And going back to the uh, the relational discipleship network, the wheel they use, introduce new truth is the first thing. You start yeah. introducing new truth. And then once you start to introduce new truth into their life, next you start to teach them how to act upon that truth. Right. And so you're taking them, you're introducing. I'm very careful about my conversations. I'm introducing concepts and truth into the into the conversation, into the relationship. And then I also begin to coach how to live out this new truth that I'm introducing into your life. Right. And then as they begin and if I see them moving towards that, you know, then you start deepening the, the relationship and you deepen the conversation and you move to, you know, it's uh, again, uh, it's moving from just, OK, here's general truth in your life to, OK, now let's connect you to the mission of God. Like you've taken like, you know, let's, let's take somebody who says, OK, I'm a new believer, but I've got my wife and a girlfriend. Well, first thing we need to work on is you get rid of that girlfriend. That's first. You know, that's big. Let's get rid of the big things that are huge sins in your life. Then let's start looking at the little things in your life and let's work on those things. And as I see this person progress now and move towards truth and move towards Jesus, now I'm going to deepen the conversation of, okay, now let's start talking about you potentially one day doing what I'm doing for you. That it's not just you living out truth, but let's start introducing how do I connect you to the mission of God to where you're going to be. You're going to have a relationship with God. You're going to have a relationship with other believers. And then also you're going to have relationships with unbelievers. Let me teach you how to act in each of those relationships so that and, and of course, along the way, there's a lot of Bible reading and prayer and other things into this that I'm teaching them these actions. Like you need to read your Bible this much. You need to pray. You need to fast. You need to be around other believers. You need to avoid certain situations. Is that am I am I answering the question that you're asking? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think that you are, and and uh, I just wanted to make it uh, clear because what you're doing in each step is you're helping another person to practically see what it means to be reconformed to the image of Jesus through right. uh, the different things that they're working on. 
Kurt, yeah. we, we don't have a lot of time left. And I have a couple of questions that uh, I think the audience would appreciate. Um, one of the things that's true is that this emphasis on theosis is common in Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox churches, the uh, Greek Orthodox, the Coptic churches, and so forth. Um, talk to us about uh, why that is and how, if any, your emphasis differs from theirs. Okay. So the um, if you're familiar with the church, you realize there was a schism between the Roman church and the Eastern church where the the Western church became the church of the medieval Roman church that everybody's aware of. And then at the same time, you had the Eastern church. Now, one of the things is that the Eastern church retained the Greek language, whereas the Western church shifted to Latin. With the Eastern church retaining the Greek language, they had a much stronger tie to the church fathers, right? Whereas on the Western church, they didn't look back to the early church as much as the Eastern church did because part of it was a break in language, right? And so one of the, so they retained that Greek word, the Eastern church returned, retained that Greek word theosis from the church fathers because they continued to speak and continued to teach in Greek. Now, one of the things that's similar to the Eastern church is to the Western church is the emphasis on the sacraments. And I don't mean to de-emphasize the Lord's Supper or anything, but this we're all aware of this over, almost overemphasis on the sacraments. And so one of the things that theosis got tied to in the Eastern Orthodox Church is it got tied to partaking in the sacraments, right? And so when you listen, I'm not saying that the Greek church is completely wrong when they talk about theosis, because I have I have listened to some uh, Greek Orthodox guys, and I actually found a place where a guy says, you are, you are reconformed to the image of God as you imitate and obey Jesus. I caught that. I'm like, that's that's what y'all need to say all the time, right? But they also emphasize partaking in the sacraments and the liturgy of the church. And that is probably the biggest difference between where I'm talking about like evangelical theosis as opposed to Eastern Orthodox theosis. What I would personally like to see, and, and again, where we lost theosis then is, so in the Western church and what becomes what we consider the Roman Catholic church, um, we all know how out of whack that got, right? We're all very, if you are any church history, you know how bad that got, so, right? So you're talking about the evangelical consensus on that. Is that yes, and I apologize for anybody I'm offended, but, you know, give me a call, we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, evangelical consensus about how bad the medieval Roman church got, how far off message they got. Uh, and it really, that's where it really turned into going to heaven or going to hell right? That the end goal was either going to heaven or going to hell, you know, and, and it got to, that was the emphasis in the Western church was going to heaven or going to hell. And they can almost completely lost the concept of theosis in the Eastern church, because they retained the Greek language, they retained the word and they retained the concept. They just got tied to the sacraments and to the liturgy of the church. What I would like to see is even, and so once you have the Reformation and you have some ideas from the Greek church coming back into the Protestant church for the, from the, um, through the trade and the uh, getting exposed to some Greek manuscripts, that's where this idea starts coming back into the Protestant church. What I would like to see in the evangelical church is for us to emphasize theosis on the same level that the Greek Orthodox church emphasizes it without the tie to the sacraments and without the tie to the liturgy of the church with we're saying, okay, 
theosis through imitating and obeying Jesus as his disciple. And uh, the discipling relationships are are the key to helping people to actually do that. Right. So one of the things I point out in the book, we talk about relationships. This is important. In the first command, um, multiply and fill the earth, right? As the image of God, multiply is the inherent command to be relational. You can't multiply and fill the earth without being relational. Yeah. Right. So being relational is an integral part of being the image of God. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, So, Kurt, I I have one last question, but before I get there, just to reiterate, this is a theme in uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a theme in C.S. Lewis. It's a theme in A.W. Tozer. Uh, Any other contemporary uh, writers, Christian leaders that you would point to? Yeah. Matthew Bates' book, um, The Gospel Precisely, is, I mean, there's, I had not read Matthew's Bates read his book until I had almost finished writing this book. Yes. And I was amazed at the amount of, um, of um, continuity between us. Yes. A lot of times we're saying the same things in two different ways. Yeah. Um, Jen Wilkins book in his image is a really good book where she talks about 10 different ways that we, in, that we imitate Jesus, his disciple. One of the things pointing back to Bonhoeffer and CS Lewis, that's a good one. If, if you're talking to somebody, and somebody who's read up on Christianity, you, hey, have you read Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship? Have you read C.S. Lewis, Lewis's Mere Christianity? The thing about me is I had read those and I missed it. It's the conclusions of the book. You know what I mean? It's the conclusion. It's, it, yeah. That is their final conclusion. And I had read both those books and I had missed it until I went back looking for it. And I was like, I mean, so I'm not, I don't mean to insult people by saying they missed it. Because I missed it too. Yeah. Okay, Kurt, one last question for you uh, as our time's coming to a close. Chapter six is no excuses. (laughs) The last chapter of the book, by the way, it's a short read. It's uh, only about 125 pages. uh, And these are uh, shorter pages. But uh, what do you mean in the last chapter, no excuses? So, you know, we have overly relied on the mercy and grace of Jesus. Um, there's enough warnings in the New Testament and, and, the, and in the words of Jesus, there's probably more warnings in the words of Jesus himself than in the rest of the New Testament about things are expected of you, right? Uh, I'm afraid that we have we have convinced way too many people that they're getting a free trip to heaven when they die. Uh, and, and I say that with all seriousness, I'm afraid for people's eternal souls. Um, we have convinced way too many people that all they needed to do was believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And then somehow, some way they'll get in at the end. That is not what the New Testament teaches. That is, that is not there. What it teaches is that the purpose is for you to imitate and obey Jesus, to be reconformed to the image of God and to multiply his image by making more disciples. And when you read the warnings that are in the Gospels, just stick with the Gospels, you don't have to with the rest of the New Testament. When you read the warnings that are in there about failure to do so, failure to multiply, failure to keep the commands of Jesus, failure to be obedient to Jesus, um, Jesus generally makes the argument that you will not get into heaven. That believing in Jesus is also agreeing to imitate and obey Jesus. Now, it's not salvation by works. 
I know what everybody's talking about because you're only capable of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it can never can never be salvation by works because you are incapable of doing it in and of yourself. Right. When you get there and you find out all these great works you did, you only did them because the Holy Spirit empowered you to do them. So it can't be salvation by works. But again, go back and read the words of Jesus over and over again. He warns people about their failure to obey, their failure to multiply, their failure to imitate him. He does not let those people into paradise. All right. Well, uh, another way I would say it, Kurt, is if we live a life of disobedience, we can't claim to have a relationship with Jesus. And the language of uh, having a relationship is faithfulness, loyalty, allegiance, and devotion. At the heart of faithfulness, allegiance, loyalty, and devotion is being conformed to the image of Jesus. So, Kurt, thank you so much. Thank you for writing this book. Uh, Again, if if anybody is listening to this and you want to get it on Amazon.com, Curtis Erskine, Recreated to Be Like God making disciples in the image of Jesus. And again, if you sign up for the National Disciple Making Forum coming up October uh, 4th and 5th, I'm sorry, 5th and 6th, and use the code CURT, C-U-R-T, we'll have a book book available for you when you show up. So CURT, thank you so much for your time. God bless you for writing this book, and God bless everyone who joined us. That was some incredible stuff from Kurt and Bobby. It was convicting, inspiring, and encouraging all at the same time. I hope that you felt that same way. Again, Kurt's book, Recreated to Be Like God, is available in free ebook form right now on discipleship.org. So make sure you go check that out. And also, I think you can purchase it on Amazon as well. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. See ya.